First thing I want to do is uh, to reiterate once again, as has already been said, but to reiterate to all of our godly mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers and great-great and how many ever greats, uh, truly, truly happy Mother's Day. I want you to know um, that you are an inspiration to all of us, uh, especially to your families, but to all of us indeed. And um, I hope that if you got a copy of the bulletin, you read it. I hope that if you didn't, you will get one out here, either in paper or uh, online. I want you to know that you are very much appreciated every day, and uh, especially today, wherein uh, the world celebrates mothers. This morning's sermon, however, having said that, is not a Mother's Day sermon. It is instead a, a sermon that is designed to try to shed a little bit of light on a question that has actually come up in nearly every congregation. I, I'm thinking all but one, and maybe even that one, that uh, I preach full time in. It's a, it's a question that has also recently arisen here in a couple of different forms. And if there's anything I've learned over the years as a preacher, it is that if one or two people voice something, there may be others that are struggling with that same thing. And so this morning I, I wanted to try to shed a little light on the answer to this question that, quite frankly, those who are members of the Lord's Church have a little more often than perhaps you might think. The question is, <clears throat> the same one that serves as our sermon title this morning, and that is simply, do I need to be baptized again? Do I need to be baptized again? And we're going to break this lesson down into three categories, or three sections. First off, we're going to look at something very familiar. Stay with me on it. But we are going to look at God's original purpose and design for Christian baptism. And secondly, we're going to look at some of those who certainly did not know or did not fit that pattern the first time that they were baptized, and hence who needed to be biblically baptized for the right reasons because theirs wasn't. And then thirdly, having established those two points that we're pretty familiar with, at least the first one a little bit more than the second, but certainly both, thirdly, we're going to get down to the nuts and bolts of why some Christians, some Christians who have been members of the Lord's Church for decades in some cases, ask that question about, do I need to be baptized again? We're going to get down to, to talking about that in particular. And so my point this morning, maybe you've never struggled with that. But my, my hope is this morning that if you're one of those folks, or if you know one of those folks, or maybe even if you don't, you've never struggled with it, that you might take a few notes and, and seek to maybe help somebody if they ever come to you with that question. So let's get right down to it, obviously. Very familiar territory. We're going to begin in Acts 2 with point number one. Point number one, God's original biblical purpose and design of Christian baptism. Now, I don't say God's original design for Christian baptism because it has somehow changed over the years, because it hasn't. 
I don't say God's original purpose and design because somewhere along the line, God changed his mind because he didn't. God's word is forever firmly fixed in the heavens. Psalm 119 and verse 89. God's word does not change. It's one of the beauties of it. And so the reason I say God's original purpose and design for baptism is because I want us to look at it where it originated in Acts chapter 2, the, the original, because it hasn't changed at all. And I think this lesson, uh, again, is not only for us to maybe take notes to help those who have struggled with that, if we ourselves never have, but if you're somebody who is a young person and you've been baptized and or maybe somebody who's considering it, this lesson would also be good as well because uh, you'll see as we unfold it. Anyway, Acts chapter 2. We know the story, know it well. Day of Pentecost, 33 AD. We know in verses 1 through 4 that the Holy Spirit came upon in miraculous measure the apostles. We know down through ver uh, verses 5 through 13 that they were speaking in, in tongues and it was a recognizable language and all these people from all these different places were hearing them in their own language. We, we understand that. We understand that some of the crowd thought they were drunk and we understand Peter stood up and said, no, they're not drunk, but hey, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel and Peter preaches this, this whole sermon based on the Old Testament prophecies. He preaches about Jesus, whom they had crucified, if you look there in verses 22 through 25, who the Jews, with the help of godless men, had put to death. And he's down through proving from their scriptures that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, and he gets to the end of his sermon in verse 36. He says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Christ meaning Messiah. This is the Messiah. Verse 37. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. When they heard that Jesus was the Messiah, when they heard and they learned that they had crucified the one that God had promised to send, they knew God had promised to send him, they knew the Old Testament prophecies, but when they learned, hey, this was him and you put him to death, they, they realized that they had sinned terribly before God. And, and when they heard this and were cut to the heart, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men, what are we going to do? How do we fix this? This is beyond... What, what do we do with this? How do we, how do we get right with God is, is the implication. Men and brethren, well, what do we do? Now again, as has been pointed out many times, they believed at this point, but they're not saved at this point based on their belief alone because he's going to tell these same people in just a minute what they need to do to be saved. Even though they believed and were cut to the heart, they're not saved yet. So Peter told them, verse 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness or remission of sins. That's the reason. That's the biblical purpose. We know this. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter goes on to explain it's for everybody. For the promise is to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. This call, this promise is for anybody who will accept it. Bottom line. Throughout any time, age, doesn't matter who they are, this is, this is the promise of God. This is there for everybody. That's Peter's point, verse 39. And with many other words, verse 40, he testified and exhorted them, be saved. If you don't have that highlighted or underlined in your Bible and you write in your Bible, please do something with that to point it out. 
They had already been cut to the heart by their belief in what he said, but they still were not saved because now he's still saying to them, you've got to be saved. They were not saved by faith alone. Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. That very day. If we were to read on in verse 47, as we all know, God adds them to the church. When they obey God, when we obeyed God, when we found out that Jesus was the Messiah and we knew that we had sinned, just like them, we're baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And, and when we come out of that water, our sins are washed away, according to the scriptures, we are forgiven, and we become part of that church. By God's authority, we become part of the church. The church is simply a group of saved people, saved by the blood. And so, this is what happened that day. This is what happens to us when we are baptized into Christ. It is the message of this baptism that we see right here in Acts 2. This baptism right here. Now, there's, other, there's another baptism in the Bible. There's a couple mentioned. It is this baptism right here for this reason given right here. The forgiveness of sins and salvation of one's soul because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, because of what Jesus accomplished when he came out of the grave, it is this baptism for this reason, for the forgiveness of sins based on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, which Jesus had commanded his apostles to take into the whole world. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Mark 16, 15 and 16, Luke 24, 44 through 51. It was this baptism, this one right here. It is this baptism right here in Acts 2, for this reason, based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that has just happened 40 days earlier, but that has happened, it is this baptism, for this reason, that we see in literally not tens, not hundreds, but thousands, that we see in literally thousands of examples of conversion to Christ that we have recorded in the New Testament. It is this baptism for this reason, based on the death, burial, and resurrection that we see people must go through in order to partake of the benefits promised here. We have thousands of examples of people being converted in the New Testament, and all of them involve this baptism. 3,000 on the day of Pentecost recorded here. The Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. We don't know how many Samaritans, all kinds of Samaritans. We don't know how many. Could have been tens, hundreds, could have been thousands. We don't know. The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, 37 and 8. See, the same baptism required for the same reason based on the same death, burial, and resurrection Saul of Tarsus had to go through in Acts chapter 9, verse 18. Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. It's that same baptism that we see Cornelius and his house have to go through in Acts chapter 10 and verse 48. Lydia and her household in Acts 16, 14, and 15. The Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16 and verse 33. This baptism right here, what they had to get through. Thousands of examples of conversion to Christ included this baptism, required this baptism. Now, one of the key things that's going to come into play later as we answer our original question is this. 
It is key right here in Acts 2. You've got to get this. It is key to know and understand what these people knew at the point of their baptisms. This is key. One of the reasons it's key is because as we get older in our Christianity and we learn more things, we'll say, when I was baptized, I didn't realize all of that stuff. Maybe I need to be baptized again. This is why it's key. Understand what they knew. Did they know about the organization of the church in Acts chapter 2 about elders and deacons? Did they know that? No. Nope. Did they know a lot of other things that they needed to know? No. Nope. What did they know in Acts 2? These 3,000 that were baptized today, what did they know? They knew they had sinned. They knew they had messed up with God. They knew that they were not in a right relationship with God, and they knew they needed their sins forgiven. Does that about wrap it up? That's all they knew. They had sinned. They were wrong with God. They needed to be right with God. They said, what are we going to do? Peter said, this is what you need to do in order to have your sins forgiven, and they did it. Right? That's all they knew. Don't lose sight of that as we move on. That is key to our original question. Several other things we would note briefly about God's original purpose and design of biblical baptism right here before we move on to section two. We would notice that based on other texts that we know, it is a burial. Romans chapter six and verse four, Colossians chapter two and verse 12. It was not a sprinkling, a pouring, or anything of that sort. As we know, the Greek word for baptism is baptizo. It means to dip, plunge, or immerse. It is a burial. The Bible confirms that. Romans 6, 4, Colossians 2, 12. We also know, based on other texts, that this baptism is a burial in water. John 3, 3 through 5. Acts 8, 36 through 39. We understand that. We understand that not only is it a burial, not only is it a burial in water, but it is a burial in water whereby we are saved. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. It is a burial in water wherein we are saved by God's grace through our faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. This is key to understand. A lot of people will read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and say we're saved by faith alone. That is not what the text said. The word alone is not in there. It says we are saved by grace through faith. We're saved by his grace through our faith. That's the way it works. We're saved by his grace through our faith when he, by his grace, offers us forgiveness and we, by our faith, trust him enough to go get it where he put it. That's what baptism is. That's what we see in Acts chapter 2. That was the original point in design of baptism. Okay. Second section of this sermon. I want us to next look at an example of some people who definitely did not know or fit this pattern. They didn't know some of the things that Peter told them on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. They had undergone a different baptism, a, a baptism, but, but it wasn't the baptism after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It wasn't a baptism that was based on his being raised up from the dead at all before they were baptized. It wasn't a baptism wherein they received the Holy Spirit. They, they were not baptized in accordance with the pattern in Acts 2. So they needed to be because the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, there's, there's one baptism. Now, there's more than one baptism in the Bible, but after Acts 2, we only see one baptism, and it's the one in Acts 2 and, and these other examples of conversion. So 
Turn with me and, and let's look at, at these people that did need to be baptized again. Acts chapter 19. The answer to the question, do I need to be baptized again? Well, in these folks' case, yes is the answer. But it's because of those reasons I just said. There was a lot they didn't know insofar as it being post-death, burial, resurrection, etc. Paul, in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, simply means followers. <clears throat> he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now keep in mind that belief and baptism are interchangeable. If you truly believe what God said when it comes to baptism, you're going to do it. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Not in miraculous form. Not in miraculous form, just the same as the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. And he said, did you do that? In other words, Paul's asking, he said, hey, did you undergo the, the one baptism? You know, the one where, where it's based on, on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and your sins are forgiven, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Did, did you receive that one? Did, did you receive the Holy Spirit when, when you believed? They said, we haven't, even as much, we haven't even so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, well, into what then were you baptized? And you can see right there that, that he's using the word believe and, and baptize to, to work together. What then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. They weren't baptized with Christian baptism after the death, burial, and resurrection based on the fact that Jesus was raised up from the dead the way those in Acts 2 were. They, weren't, they hadn't heard anything about the Holy Spirit that's also tied to that. So... Paul explained, he said, well, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Yeah, yeah, John baptized, and, and it was a specific reason for John's baptism. And by the way, John's baptism included the forgiveness of sins as it looked forward to Christ. As it looked forward to Christ. That is, that is key. Luke chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. John's baptism was, was for forgiveness of sins as, as it looked forward to the forgiveness that Jesus would provide. Yes, that's true. But Paul says, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. You see, your baptism's got to be based on Christ Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection that took place. If, if it isn't, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, then it's not the baptism that we see in Acts 2 and in other places. It's got to be in accordance with that. And when they heard this, verse 5, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That is by his authority. When, when you talk about in the name of in the Bible, you're talking about by the authority of. Cops show up, knock on your door at 3 a.m., say open up in the name of the law, by the authority of the law behind them, that's all. Hopefully that never happens, by the way, I'm just saying. And so, because they hadn't been baptized based on all those things that they were in Acts 2, it, it wasn't proper. And so immediately they were baptized again. So what we learn from this is that if one's baptism was not in accordance with the biblical pattern, if it was not in accordance with the biblical pattern, for the biblical reason, 
that we see there in Acts 2, then a person should certainly immediately be baptized for the right reasons. Yes. They should be baptized the right and biblical way for the right and biblical reasons in order to achieve the right and biblical result. Simple as that. We see that in Acts 19, 1 through 6. Now, we think about that, if I can put it into other words, if one's baptism, quote unquote, consisted of being sprinkled, having water poured on them, uh, that's not in, in accordance with a burial like the Bible says. That person was not baptized the way the Bible requires and demands that we be based on the death, burial, and resurrection. They weren't buried with him. If a person's baptism was for any other reason than for the forgiveness of sins, if, if somebody got baptized after they believed they were saved and forgiven, then their baptism's not in accordance with Acts 2. And, and yes, they definitely need to be baptized a second time, this time in accordance with what the Bible says in order to achieve what the Bible promises. Yes, yes, they need to do that. Now brings us to the third and final category where we, wherein we will explore both the typical reasoning behind, that's key, the reasoning behind, as well as the biblical answer to the question that some Christians and born again of the water and the spirit members of the Lord's church ask, do I need to be baptized again? And as we approach this third and final part of this, I would like for us to first off look at the situation which often leads up to the asking of that question to begin with. A lot of times within the church, our youth will go to Bible camp and they'll hear some good lessons and sometimes they will be baptized and there's other kids getting baptized and they know it's the right thing to do but they, they get baptized and then years later Maybe they go to college or whatever and they come home and, and as, a, as an adult they will ask that question, do I need to be baptized again? I, I didn't understand what I was doing at the time. Sometimes the visitors will come into our congregations and they'll hear an exciting lesson or two and they will decide at the, at the invitation at the end if they need to come forward and they need to be baptized. And you know, they, they're kind of like those people that Jesus mentions in Matthew 13. They, they hear it and they're excited about it and they're joy-filled about it, but, but then something happens down the road. It doesn't seem to stick, we might say. In, in Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 through 22, Jesus said, but he who received the seed on stony places is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a little while, for where tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. He stumbles. Sometimes the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Let me put that into rubber meets the road terms. Sometimes a person can be baptized maybe as a visitor just on a couple of sermons. Maybe they come to the point that they realize that they've sinned and they need God and they want their sins forgiven and he's the answer and, and so they're baptized. Or maybe it's one of our young people that at camp or after a lesson that they get excited, but let, let's, let's take it with young people because I know sometimes this happens. They're baptized, they're in church, mom and dad are here, but then they grow up. <laughs> they get a little older and they get on their own and 
Maybe they go off to college, maybe they don't. But as soon as they're out from under mom and dad's faith and mom and dad's wing, they begin to explore what the world has to offer. They begin to indulge in some of the immorality in the world. They begin to get off track. Well, they may still be in church, but they begin to really wander and get away from that. They've been baptized. Some of them, unfortunately, people who are raised in the church, baptized at an early age, aren't even here anymore. Or anywhere else in the church, for that matter. They've gone off into the world. It happens. And, and then some of them, later on in life, will come to their senses. That's the terminology the Bible uses in the prodigal son. They come to their senses. He came to his senses, right? Some of them, down the road, once they've gone out and lived wildly and indulged in immorality or, or whatever else it is that's going on in the world, maybe a year, two, decade, who knows, some of them will, will want to come back and come back and, and return to the home of their father, return to the church. And, and the question that will often come up under those circumstances is, do I need to be don't I need to be baptized again? And, and they will often use the justification, and, and I've heard this before. I really didn't know what I was doing the first time. I think we need to be careful with that. How much did the people know on the day of Pentecost? They knew they'd sinned against God. They knew, need, bleh, they knew they needed to do something about it. Peter said, you need to be baptized. He'll forgive your sins and he'll save you. And they did it, right? That's, all they, that's pretty much what they knew. They didn't know a lot else. And I think sometimes that under the circumstances I described where somebody walks away and they're away for a long time, they come back and they say, do I need to be rebaptized because because I just, I feel as though I probably should because I didn't know what I was doing. I think sometimes, with all due respect, I think sometimes that's a little bit of a, a crutch. And here's what I mean by that. We talk about baptism a lot, right? We know that baptism's for the forgiveness of sins, right? And so when somebody's baptized, don't matter which age, you come up out of baptistry, remember your baptism, did you feel pretty good? Your sins were gone, right? Amen, right? Fresh, you knew your sins were gone. That really felt good. And so we associate that feeling of guiltlessness with baptism. So if somebody goes away for a while, and they get into all kinds of things that they shouldn't be getting into, and they feel guilty when they come back, they want to feel that way again, so I think they need to be baptized again. And I think that, I think that often happens, because we associate those, those good feelings, that, that, that getting rid of my guilt with baptism. However, with all due respect, I very seriously doubt in the Lord's church today that a lot of people that come back and say, I didn't know what I was doing. I really wonder about that. I'll tell you why. I know we learn a lot after we're baptized, but I'm telling you right now, if there's somebody, if you go to talk to somebody to teach you about baptism and they don't teach you it's for the forgiveness of sins, they got no business being a Bible teacher because they ain't teaching Bible. I can't tell you how many times I've sat around down at Green Valley and talked with kids for hours. And we go over, we go over what this is. This, I don't want any of the kids at Green Valley that I baptized coming back 10 years down the road say, I need to be rebaptized. I didn't know what I, oh yes you did. I was there. I spent hours with you. And I don't think I'm alone. I think every Bible teacher in, in, in the Lord's church 
explains what baptism is for. I go so far as to include 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, to everybody I baptize, that if you, if you come to the Lord and then you go back out into the world, that the latter state has become worse for you than the first. I go over that with everybody that I talk to about baptism. So I don't think it's rebaptism that they need. You see, part of the key to understanding what they do need to do comes by knowing what else happened by the grace of God at your baptism besides your being forgiven and saved, receiving the Holy Spirit and being added to the Lord's church. There's something else that happened and this is what people missed. There's something else that happened. Look in Galatians chapter three. Galatians chapter three. There's something else. Look at Galatians chapter three, verses 26 and seven. For you are all sons of God. Stop right there. Hold the presses. This is what you need to get. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This is the thing that we got to understand. At the point of your baptism, you were born again into the family of God by the water and the spirit. Amen? At your baptism, you became a child of God. Is that right? Absolutely. You're all sons of God through your faith for as many of you as were baptized. You were baptized because of your faith, and at that point, you became a son of God. You became, at that point, just as Jesus says in John 3, 3 through 5, you're born again of the water and the spirit, and you become a member of the kingdom or the family of God. You've got to understand that. You've got to understand that. Your baptism is where you became a bona fide, certified, adopted member of God's family. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 17, and right here in Galatians 3, 26 and 7. So, using the analogy of a human family that has a new baby. You have a new baby. Awesome. Baby's born, baby's pure, baby's wonderful. Baby grows up. Baby often grows up. And, and baby goes out and does things mom and dad don't approve of. Baby goes out and does things God doesn't approve of. Baby goes out, commits a crime, gets thrown in prison for the rest of their life. Is that child still your child? No matter what they've done, is that still your son or daughter? Light bulb. You don't approve of what they've done. You don't approve of where they are. You do anything in the, your world you could to change it if it's your kid, but it's still your kid. Is that right? When we are born again into the family of God and we are baptized and we are adopted, again, Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 17, you are a child of God. Now, you may mess up and you may do some horrible things and you may wander away from God and never come back, but you're still his child. That's the key. That's what baptism does. Prodigal son. Know the story, right? Kid went out and messed up big time, didn't he? When he got ready to come back home and come to his father, Luke chapter 15, did his father say to him, you're no longer a member of the family? No, what did he say? This son of mine. Wait a minute, how can you call him your son? He's, he's done all these horrible, he's still my son. Your kids ever mess up? Yeah? Big time? Yeah? They're still your kid, right? God's a better father than any of us fathers, by the way, Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Just saying. 
Baptism not only forgives your sin, but it makes you a child of God. You see, if you go out into the wilderness and you go out into the world of sin and, and you, you get weak and you, you indulge and you mess everything up and you get out there and you realize how bad off you are and you realize that, that back in your father's house, back in the church, back with the Christians, you had it so much better off and you decide to go home. You don't have to become a child of God again. God already made you his child. You don't have to become his. But what you do have to do is go back like the prodigal and be willing to confess your sins to your father. You have to be willing to repent of those sins. He did. He returned. And you have to be willing to commit yourself to your father again and get it right this time. When somebody leaves the church and they're a child of God, somebody leaves and goes out and just totally messes everything up. Do they need to come back and be baptized or do they need to come back Apologize to their father, come to their senses, return, and renew their commitment to God. Which is it? Should seem pretty obvious, shouldn't it? That's what 1 John chapter 1 is all about, and I'm not going to turn there, but as you know, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Paul, uh, Paul, yeah, Paul does it right in John's letters, okay? John says, our fellowship is with God, and your fellowship is with us, and he goes on, beginning at verse 5, and he talks about how God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And then he goes on to say this beautiful thing. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, the Greek tense is ongoing, to continually forgive us of all of our sins. And then he says this, he says, if we say we have not sinned, we're a liar. He's writing to Christians, by the way. He's not writing to pagans out in the world. He's writing to people who have baptized into Christ, people who are children of the living God. Who he's writing to? Their fellowship with God. He says to them, he says, if we say we have not sinned, we're a liar, and the truth isn't in us. He didn't say that if you sinned, you've got to become a child of God again. You're already a child of God. You're a messed up child of God. Your child of God's out in the swine fields of sin. Your child of God is going to destroy themselves. But you're still a child of God until God says you ain't. And your father wants for you to come home. I, I once remember I baptized a lady at one point years ago, I baptized this lady that had grown up in the church. She'd been baptized young. She had <clears throat> decided that she needed to be rebaptized, and she was midlife. Okay, so I baptized her again. Not too many years after that, she went totally off. I'm not even going into it. Totally off. Wait, just totally off. See, her problem wasn't that she needed to be baptized again. Her problem was that she needed to be more committed to staying home with her father. That's what she needed. She needed to humbly <clears throat> obey him in everything and submit herself more to him. She didn't need to become his child again. She just needed to be a more obedient child. And see, and I think the reason that we sometimes miss that is because we miss the word <clears throat> repent in Acts 2.38. We always focus on baptism. You know what repentance is? That, that's the word that we most often miss and we need to most understand when we are baptized and understand when we want to return to our Father. Repentance is what we need. Turn back to God. You get out there and you mess your life off and you get away from your father and you get away from the godly family. You don't need to become his child again. You need to go home. You need to go home and commit yourself to being with your father again. That's what you need to do. You need to confess your sins, just like the prodigal son. That's what you need to do. You don't need to be baptized again. just need a greater commitment and dedication 
to that which you turned and walked away from in the first place. It's not that you didn't understand you were forgiven at baptism. It's that you need God's forgiveness because you walked away from it for a while. I'm not going to judge where anybody's at. But I am going to try to teach them what the Bible says. You can be baptized. Listen, you can be baptized 35 times in your lifetime, but if you haven't truly committed yourself to doing God's will, all you're doing is getting wet. You're wasting the church's time, the preacher's time, your time, everybody else's time. Without repentance, it's pointless. Without a commitment to God, don't bother. Really. And when you come home to God, God doesn't want to make you his child again. He just wants to cleanse the sins that you got on you and clean you up so that you can stay in the house and, and be with the family for the rest of your life. That's what he wants to do. As I said, I don't judge where anybody's at. You've got to make up your own mind. I just want to throw those things out there and let you know. And the question I ask as we close this morning is, where are you at? Where are you at with God's one and only biblical purpose and design when it comes to Christian baptism for the forgiveness of your sins? four categories. Number one, perhaps you're somebody here today who's heard something you've never heard before and you want to study more. You want to make sure you understand what God commanded when it comes to the biblical relationship between grace and faith and baptism and forgiveness and salvation. We'll do that. We'll study with you. Amen, church? We'll help you with that. Number two, maybe you're here today and you're somebody who's never been baptized, but you've come to understand Based on Acts 2, that's exactly what I need to do. I have sinned. I have messed up. That's all I know. And I know that God, based on the blood of his son, is willing to forgive me if I will just submit by my faith in his promises to his grace that he's promised to give me if I'll be baptized. I can have my sins washed away. Maybe that's you. We have a baptistry sitting up here. We'll be glad to baptize you today. You don't need to know what the whole Bible says. All you need to know is you ain't been living right. You ain't been doing everything God wants that you've sinned, and God's willing to take that sin off of you. That's what you need to know. That's what they knew on the day of Pentecost. We'll baptize you if you're ready to repent and turn your life to God, that is. Number three, maybe you've been through some semblance of what you previously considered to be baptism. Maybe you've been sprinkled or poured or done it at the time, whatever your baptism was, maybe, maybe you've done it as you know, an outward sign of an inward grace, or maybe you were baptized after you thought you were saved and forgiven, which then it couldn't have been for forgiveness because you already thought you were. Maybe, maybe you've been through some semblance of baptism that wasn't what Acts 2 says is the baptism God says you must undergo in order to be forgiven and, and be saved. But like the disciples in Acts 19, you've come to the point that you know and understand. Hey, my baptism was not in accordance with, with that one right there. That, that one in Acts 2 where God saved those people and added them to church because they were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, received the Holy Spirit when they repented. That, that isn't why I, was, I need to be redone. I need to be done the right way and become a child of God, and, and we'd love to, to do that. <clears throat> and fourth and finally, maybe you're here this morning. Maybe as a youth or a visitor, you were baptized into Christ for your sins many years ago. And, and to be honest, you, you knew it was for the forgiveness of your sins. You really did. But somewhere along the line, you've gotten off track. You've gotten out there away from God. You've gotten out there in the world and sin, and you want to come home. You realize how much better off you'd be back with God where you started out. And like that prodigal, 
You can decide this morning to return, to repent. Maybe you ain't been living quite the way you should. I'll tell you what. It's time this morning to return home and to seek and find your father's forgiveness so you can start again. But you do that by deciding he's right, you're wrong, and you're coming home and ask for that forgiveness. And believe me, just like the parable of the prodigal son, there will be rejoicing in the house of your father both here and there. You ready to come home? How much has the world got to beat you up before you're ready to come back home where you belong? Are you committed to staying on the straight and narrow, getting back on it and staying on it? This morning, if we can help with any of those things, please decide in your life what you need to do as we stand right now and invite you with this song.